you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. If you got a minute, I'll show you something that not only has never been done on a, on a stage that we've played on, but maybe any stage that anyone's ever played on in the history of... It's a little game. You might know it because I learned it here in Melbourne. This game can only be played with an official Australian 50 cent piece. Do you know what I'm talking about? And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we are doing this episode down under and it is a patreon request from our good friend and patron william reese this is the third night of melbourne 2006 we told you guys that we'd be back to 2006 again and i think we're gonna get a couple more shows in from this year later this year so for anybody that loves this era i know many of you do this is not the end, thankfully, and we'll really touch up on it more than we did last year or even the year before that. But this is cool. This is the third night of three, and I believe I teased you guys a little bit last week and mentioned three words, Ed's butt cheeks. Yeah, we'll get into talking about that. But before we do, I think it is time to kind of put everything going on to bed until we have information. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there from the top. This past week, we had a little bit of hysteria. And as hysteria goes, it's easy to fall into the trap. I had because everything sort of on paper, looking at it, seemed to add up. If you're not following what I'm saying, then... If you remember, actually, this is pretty funny. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the new album and new songs and stuff like that, we had said, hey, look out on like sporting events and podcasts and maybe you'll find a clip of a song there. And that's what we thought happened during the Chiefs-Dolphins game last week. 
we thought we had heard something that sounded like, okay, this is their style. This is something that they'd put together. And especially because the reports that we had on the wrecker were very straight up rock song. So I had a couple people show me the clip of Mike just kind of playing his strat. And I think he was doing an interview for Fender. That's a YouTube clip. And at the end of all that, he's playing the same exact thing as the song that you can kind of hear with Mike Tarico talking over it, going into break. And you put two and two together at that point, and you're kind of like, whoa, okay, it does make sense. But then we were alerted to this by one of our Twitter followers, who I'll find his name in a second or two, and I'll thank him. But this is a song that is existent in our world and is not a Pearl Jam song. That I just want to address because when I put it out there, the reaction to that and the reaction to the, hey, that's not a Pearl Jam song doesn't get the same kind of reaction that like, hey, this is a possible Pearl Jam song would. So I wanted to put that out there because I know a lot of people probably are still thinking that that's the next song. And I just want to thank Tomas Yelmini and he sent me a video. So the song that was played going into break was a song called Hey What You Looking At by Johnny Moscow and Leela Olsen. And it kind of says various artists on this thing, so I don't know where the, the most artists... publicity those guys are getting all week. Yeah, pretty much. And I just want to say that sometimes when you fall into the hysteria and there's new news on the horizon and everything just gets crazy from there, I just wanted to kind of tell you guys that I'm sorry for falling into it because sometimes, especially around this band, it's really easy to get caught in that trap. And I do pride myself and, you know, live on four legs as a whole on being journalists and having journalistic integrity. I apologize for causing the hysteria that came from that. But again, because the follow-up post about this not being a Pearl Jam song didn't really score well on social media. I did want to put it out there and tell you guys if you missed it. So why I wanted to do it in the beginning, I don't know. Let's get it out of the way. But now we can introduce everybody to the show. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. That took long enough. You can call me Johnny Moscow if you want. I don't. Can I call you Lilu Olson? Sure. All right, Lilu. Well, how yeah. you feeling? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, you know, just remember, nothing's official till it's official. I know patience is a, uh, it sucks. You want to know everyone's, you see everyone announcing their tours and everyone's talking about this, going to these shows and this and this, but just have to have patience. It'll happen when it happens. Don't be first, be right. I've always told myself that. Sometimes things get in your head and you're just like, well, if I'm excited about it, I want to share it with the rest of the world. But really, if it's not from the band, it's probably not happening as of this point. So that's out of the way now. Now we can talk about Melbourne, this show from 2006 that we'll get to an interview with William in a couple minutes or so. But I wanted to bring up that the venue that they're playing, the Rod Laver Arena, is actually one of the most played venues of Pearl Jam. I believe easily their most played is Shoreline Amphitheater. And I remember 
kind of digging at one point, and unfortunately at this moment I can't find out how to do it on livefootsteps.org, but there is a way. I remember the top five venues, I think, being Shoreline, Rod Laver, MSG, the Camden, it's had like 500 names, currently the Freedom Mortgage Pavilion, and I don't remember the last one, but it's interesting that going all the way back to 1995 when the place was called Flinders Park Tennis Center, that they've gone here every single time that they hit Melbourne. Yeah, and because the cities are kind of spread out and they don't go that often, they tend to do these two or three night runs in every city. And they've done a three night run three times at this arena. So yeah, that puts it up there. And it's got some historic moments too. Obviously, we all know if you own the vinyl of it, then you sure know about Giveaway. Amazing show from Melbourne in 1998. And then you have the March 17th show from 1995 too, which is also a nice little gem. So important things have happened at this arena. And you have to think now, again, rumors are rumors and whatever, but there have been rumblings of Australia. It would be nice to see them go back to this old stomping ground that they hadn't played in since this very night, because when they went back to Melbourne in 2009 and 2014, it was all big day out stuff. So they weren't playing arenas. Yeah, it'd be nice to get another three night run. I don't think you're going to get that, but we'll see. What you are going to get is you're going to get a couple stories here again from our friend, Will. He went to all three of these shows. So we asked him a little bit about like what the nights were like and what stood out and things like that. So we'll get into all the stories, including a little bit of a tease for later when it comes to a little game that Ed played with his butt cheeks. So let's get to that conversation and we'll come back. We'll talk about the show. Yeah, I really hummed and hard about what's not to choose for my request here because I can't, in a lot of ways, I almost felt like night two was the better night of the three. I guess what led to my decision in the end was the three shows I saw in Melbourne that year were my sixth, seven, eighth show. So it was the longest period of time I hadn't seen them for between 2000 and 2006 since the first time I saw them sort of thing. It was the longest between drinks, so to speak. And my sister came over from New Zealand, which was cool because we hadn't seen each other that much since we both left the UK. And then just the lead up to the shows and Rod Laver Arena, in my opinion, is one of the better venues for, for shows in Australia just the acoustics and the venue good size and that sort of thing but every night we also had 200s the first night 100s the second night and floor tickets the third night which was all seated at that point so every night for us it kind of just got that little bit better a little bit better and in the end that was the catalyst I was like even though I kind of felt maybe this night two was a more rocking interesting show <laughs> night three it was the you know combination of the three nights I felt like the band were having a good time. I felt like they were, from a fan point of view, it seemed like they were enjoying being in Australia. They were enjoying being in Melbourne. Yeah, that was the package, I guess. Were there any certain songs that stood out to you that you remember? Yeah, definitely. Around that time, I was really getting into Why Go at the time, but also probably not a popular opinion, but I really liked the Avocado album. I really liked Alan Poible, Love Like Captain, so to keep those off the list, you know, you got the Rear Mirror, Man of the Hour. Also, I think they may have played Rocking in the Free World two of the three nights. 
and at the time I was really into rocking. So yeah, it was a good mix. I thought it was a good mix of like, obviously it was like avocado heavy the set list. I don't think I agree with you on that. There was only if you want to count wasted reprise, there was five songs. Okay, that was yeah. it. This is on the third night. Yeah, I guess I'm sort of thinking over the three nights because sure. I felt like. I got to see a lot of the album over the course of those three nights. Most of the whole thing, probably. Yeah, I yeah. saw that one of the shows at Big Wave and Marker. Did he uh, gone, come back, inside job? Yes. Yep. He probably got yep. everything but parachutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And given the sort of date of, you know, the rise and fall of Pearl Jam in Australia, I guess you want a bit of a term. Like, people around us generally each night seemed like most people knew what was going on. Most people knew the words. Most people were into it. Surprised me a little being when you sort of talk to people like, oh, yeah, Pearl Jam, are they still around? <laughs> but then you go to the show and it was seemed like a lot of people were very knowledgeable about what was happening and what they were playing. So I was sort of quietly happy <laughs> on the inside there when you sort of talk to people and seem like, okay, <laughs> there is still quite a bit of a, a base here. This is a really good variety show. Now, there's no binaural, but... There are five ten songs, there are three no-code and three versus songs, and then two from all of Vitalogy, Yield, Riot Act, even two Lost Dogs in there. So that's a really good mix. Pretty much all that you can ask for sometimes it shows is that you at least get the balance, and I think you guys got it in night three for sure. And Kings of Leon uh, opened for them all three nights, so that was a, you know, a bit of a silver lining as well. Also with the third night, like uh, on the first night, I think Eddie references it in, in, in the second boot for the seem like Pearl Jam and Kings Leon, someone's it was someone's birthday and they kind of kicked on after the show and the second night you could sort of tell that some people maybe Eddie were a little bit worse for the wear. And he referenced the fact that the second night was Encore Three. <laughs> so by the third night it was kind of back to normal, if you like. Yeah, and it was the you know the combination of the three nights. So tell us here. Now there's going to be a moment in the show that is quite unforgettable. This game that Ed plays where, <laughs> and it must have been at some time during that birthday party, I suppose, where he was taught a game to put a 50 cent piece into his butt cheeks and try to drop that 50 cent piece into a cup in the middle of the stage now, I never heard about something like this ever. <laughs> it sounds like stupid shit Americans would do, but you were apparently brand new to this too? Yeah, maybe it's an Aussie thing, I'm not sure. But that was the first time I'd ever heard of it as well, yes. They, you, they just made that up to fuck with them? Um, can't, I can't answer. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> he did try. I believe he still had his jeans on. But he had a pint glass and he was trying to drop the 50 cent coin into the glass. Yeah, the video, unfortunately, we have majority of this show on video. But on the YouTube clip, the whole thing is there, except for the majority of this portion is all covered with pictures. So you don't get to see anything until like right before he drops and you can't even really tell what he's doing. You can't see a cup. You, you really can't see anything. It's from kind of a long distance angle. I, th I think it was the same show. I think the third night at, towards the end when Eddie brought out his, his bottle of 
wine and was cheersing the crowd and that sort of thing. And people were like, skull, skull, skull. Right. And egging him on. And like, he towards the end, I think in the other Leadbetter, he, he had a big skull of the of his wine. And by the end of Leadbetter, he was sitting on his a monitor, sort of. Well, evidently, he fell. Like, he jumped off of Boom's thing during Rockin' the Free World and, like, fell and hit his head or something and was down for a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As, assuming it was the bottle with the wine. He had a fair, uh, fair crack at it. It seems as well that the response to not getting the coin in the cup was to, to skull. And that's why he that, did it. That may have been it, yeah, yep. All right, once again, big, big, big thank you go out to William. He's been a dedicated listener, a good friend, and all-around good person. He's planning on go to some shows wherever they are this coming year, so hopefully he gets out. Hopefully we all get out to them. Yeah, hope to see him there. All right, it's showtime, and they're going to kick off with a song that hadn't been played in Australia at this point at least this run in Australia, and that is kicking off the show with Long Road. This long road felt like it had pep. It felt like it had. What do you laugh at that for? Like what? No, it it smokes. It's almost like given to fly speed. A little bit, a little bit, and I guess when you put it in that terms, compared to the emotional ones, the distraught ones, this is a triumphant version. A lot of it, I think, is just coming from how Cameron tended to play. At this time, if you listen to last week's episode, it was all Cameron, 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 every song. And I think his tendency to rip through songs in this era really kind of trickled down to some of these opener-type songs, Long Road and Release, and a few of these other ones that you all know. But yeah, it doesn't get off the rails fast at all, but it's definitely not a traditional Long Road. But it still has that identity of feeling like it's taking you on a journey, that Long Road does absolutely perfect yeah i mean it's not speed long road it's not comatose fast but i still think i'm and i try not to harp on this too much because i know there's people that it's just a deal breaker every time they hear it not at the right speed and that's not always the case but with a song like long road i think you lose a little bit of the power when you don't give it the space to breathe that it needs so yeah this one not my favorite long road that I've heard, but still a great song. You take it every time, but I didn't think it had kind of the power and the weight that it normally had. A lot more celebratory than sympathetic. Mm. 
we expect it to be one of those songs where it is an emotional journey and there are a couple out there that are like this that are more of just a ride a little drive to it obviously the original is going to be what you gravitate towards but this one's just fine too nice little section here to start off right after that corduroy hail hail do the evolution then worldwide suicide after what do you think of this section i think overall what i got out of it was that this is a great jeff immense show and i think that goes to show during hail hail Wise. Yeah, I was very, very impressed with Jeff on this. The little runs and the little fills that he's doing. There's a moment he has at the end where you're just like, oh my god, how do you even put that melody together to get from there to there? It's, it's amazing. Yeah, Hail Hail was definitely the standout for me on this. You know, you get Vitalogy, No Code Yield, back to back to back early on like this. These three, it's going to get everybody moving. But Hail Hail was the showstopper early on, I think. But the little tease in do the evolution to the first man to drop a quarter uh-huh. out of my ass. That's it's a nice little tease there for what's going to happen later. I don't even know if he knew what he was going to do, but a nice little throw in that in there. Yeah, I did wonder if there were people out there that went to the show didn't pay any mind to it or didn't even notice and then went back on the boot and like wait a minute he's planning something for later like he's kind of connecting it all but yeah no it's cool it's a very cool moment and you were kind of talking a little bit about at the end of hail hail where jeff is doing this little run it sounds like he's doing that under pressure baseline at the end it really does it's like it's kind of based on that yeah it's it's not that exactly but it's got that feel to it where it's it's bouncy but melodic and like the under pressure baseline is is not a bad one to rip off but yeah very very good a little bit for corduroy going into the solo from the bridge i think that ed had a moment with this he must be feeling it pretty early it's one of those things where he'll scream into the microphone and he kind of says something a little unintelligible before Mike goes off, but I think it was something like, what do you got now? And he's just screaming it. And when he does that, I think that's a moment where he feels like he's part of the show, where everybody is connected. I'm sure this obviously is one of the big places that they play down in Australia. You've already had two nights of experience here. You already feel connected with this crowd. So I think that he had a little extra coming off of that, that added weight to the end. Yeah, it sounded to me like 
like, what do you got, Michael, or something like that. There is a song later where he will specifically say that to Mike yeah. and turn to him. Hmm. Believe it's State of Love and Trust, but we'll get to that when we get to that. But it, yeah, it could have been directed yeah. towards Mike. And the ignorant Aborigines line, I know we're in this section, but do the evolution that ignorant Aborigines line goes by real quick too, but that's a nice throw in for the area. Sure. Worldwide suicide is kind of the back end of this section, and this is one that Javier wanted to talk about here. Talking a little bit about the Telecaster and a little lighter tone from Stone and Mike kind of having a little bit of beef on the bone for those power chords mixed in with the Ebo as well. So hopefully I didn't you know, steal his thunder there, but that's my tea for him. And then he's going to kind of go deeper into that like he always does. So let's throw it right, right over to Javier and then we'll talk after. Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So we are covering Melbourne 2006. Yes, let's continue to cover 2006 shows because they're my favorites. So we always talk about pedals and amps and stuff that they do for this band, right? But there's a very important conversation topic that I would like to suggest this week too because a lot of the guitars that they were start to be used around that time, they basically started to set up the footprint of what they were going to use or what is still being used at this point, right? So in World War Suicide, you have Ed Houston is a very high modded Telecaster, the Joni Ramone picture, the glitter, all of that. Stone is using a 1952 reissue Fender Telecaster. This is going to give you a little bit more of a bright tone. This is going to give you a little bit more jangle to it. And on the other side, Mike is using is Gibson Les Paul Double Cutaway, which is a 1959 original guitar that was gifted to him by his wife on his 40th birthday. So the combination of all these elements, they make a super cool detail, especially in the chorus part or in the pre-chorus part. When Stone is playing, he's actually only playing the A note and leaves all the space open for the other two, specifically for Mike, because he's using a guitar that is, has a little bit more beef to it to add power chords to it. I know it's a super simple thing, but at the same time, it makes a huge difference because if you will make the same chord progression in the way that Stone will be doing it or with the kind of guitar that Stone is using, it loses its power. And especially in that part, you need that little break in a space to give somebody else kind of like the pass before the end line for them to use that power chord and make the song a little bit more intense or basically make that part a little bit more pronounced in the song. Something that is going to be continued to be a theme for today's show because there's a lot of cool stuff to continue to talk about with the instruments that we're using about this time. So yeah, we're going to kick it off that way. All right. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. We got two more with you later. So good ones too. 
Dissonant, Given a Fly are the two that follow, which means that there were seven straight up, no stopping to kick things off when you got into this set. And that's not too bad at all. Good mic version of Dissonant that we have. And then at the end, Ed changes a little line to Escape is never the safest path, but you got to do it anyway. Something that has been done a couple of times, but not very often when he does it. It is a cool little change. Given a Fly after that, very fast version of Given a Fly. Another one that smokes. Yeah, when I said that Long Road was as fast as Given a Fly, I didn't mean this version. I meant the <laughs> the normal version of Given a Fly. Yeah, it's just this era. But I know the Two Feet Thick review mentioned this. You can see it a little bit. They had clouds showing on the screen behind Matt to give it a little extra visual there. That was cool to see. It's not often that they do a little visual effect at their show. So, yeah, yeah not too shabby there. All right, Ed's going to speak for the first time. Thank you for coming out and celebrating our last night in Melbourne with us. There's a rule on airplanes today that you aren't allowed to bring any liquids. So I don't know how we brought Seattle weather here today. Checked it with us in the gate, but we always wanted to play this place with the roof over. It's a retractable stadium, so so I'll have to try and come back and do it the next time. Audience is getting progressively better and already feels that way tonight. Sing, please, because my voice is starting to go. Anytime I say for the next one, if I say love, if you want to say love, say it and say it loud. He's saying this rather fast. He'll say this much faster than me. But if you don't feel like saying it, then don't say it. But if you feel like saying it, then certainly say it. And that's where Boom is going to kick things off into Love Boat Captain. I think that this is played for a reason because one of the nine was an Australian fan that had passed away. And I know that I read that they had made friends with most of the families. And I think that one was one that they had a strong connection with. So yeah, I get that Love Boat Captain being played here is pretty important. And there's the line where he sings, Lost Nine Friends Will Never Know. And then he changed that to the getting to know line and I feel like that has a little bit of tie in I wonder if before the show or one of the shows that if he had spent some time with the family yeah and I think the clue here is as the song starts to write voices we're playing it for friends right and he doesn't shout out a specific person which he will do later on in the show and he will do from time to time even more now but I think that tells you the fact that he doesn't say the name. I think that tells you that like he's keeping that one to himself. And he knows that that's a little more personal than a normal request from someone to someone else. So, yeah, I think that's right on. Then never know, like, he immediately, like, yeah, and Lost My Friends will never know. He immediately, like, catches himself and goes, oh, get to know. More, more and more each day. Like, he immediately stops and, and corrects himself. So, yeah, I think that's 100% right on. Yep. Appropriate response for that. And, uh pretty hot and heavy version of love boat captain as well and then at the end prompting the crowd to do the love back and forth yeah it, love it was the begin too. The, mm, mm, let's see it's song in no uh, you're gonna do it one or, number one or number two the first time you're still early on i think it's fine oh it's song in this lot 17 but whatever move on good version and Unemployable is going to be in the middle of 
Love Boat Captain and Even Flow. And just kind of like last week, I know William said that this was one of his favorites from the show, but kind of like last week with a great version of Marker and Sand, I think the version just sort of gets buried again, unfortunately. But this is, again, the spot for it. You're not putting it in a headlining position. Ed doesn't talk about the song at all. It is one of kind of a few avocado songs especially in the main set they're only going to do one other so you have worldwide suicide you have unemployable and then comatose much later but it did feel like it was very much in the same position and i guess the best comparison i can make to it is something like compared to how seven o'clock or never destination was treated over the last couple of years of being that middle ground song that just gives you a break between massive performances. The avocado songs here, I was not real stoked on. I mean, that's not my favorite ones that I want to hear. I mean, we had talked about it with William, you know, night two, I think they did big wave and gone night one. They did come back and inside job. So they had done a lot of the better, I think live ones, you know, they didn't do severed hand here, which is more of a standout live song. Like, the ones they did here were just kind of the eh, ones in that, you know, just my opinion. A lot of people love those songs, love that record. That's fine. But I think, you know, most people would agree that the ones you want to hear live are your inside jobs, your comebacks. They didn't do Marker in the Sand here. They didn't do Severed Hands. So the Avocado songs here didn't really stick out to me very much. It's just just kind of seemed like filler. It is very weird that in back-to-back weeks of doing this era, we didn't get Severed Hand at all. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to rectify that mistake at some point later this year. And we need a show with Gone, too, because it's been a long time. But uh, even Flow, I think, is a good talking point here. I thought that Jeff, and the way that you hear Jeff on the boot, it sounds like he's driving things. Those runs are really thick. And it sounds like he's kind of in the lead over Stone, almost. Like, that's how prominent you hear him in the mix. Absolutely. You mentioned at the beginning, this is a fantastic Jeff show. And when Jeff and Matt are locked in together, then that just drives everything. Jeff is so underrated. I mean, people know McCready. Stone is maybe the best rhythm guitar player of all time. Ed is obviously the star, but a lot of people don't talk about Jeff when you talk about, like, the greatest bass players of this era, but he deserves to be on that list. Like, especially listen to these shows week in and week out, you know, occasionally we'll stumble onto one like this where it's like, God, he's just on another level. I mean, coming from being a bass player, like the bass player is the guy to get the least credit out of everybody. And obviously, when everybody talks about bass players, they talk about the flashy ones, Getty Lees of the world and Les Claypool. Claypool. Exactly. Right. And Jeff just doesn't have that personality of like, well bass playing is going to be in the forefront of what this band is it it just doesn't work that way but yeah i think when you talk about great all-time bass players and you don't mention jeff i think that is definitely shortchanging what he's so good at but this is 2006 we got to see last week that the spotlight was on matt cameron and once again the spotlight is on matt cameron but Here's the thing. Last week was a great one. I think this absolutely eclipsed whatever he did in Prague. This was insane. Like, this is Buddy Rich level 
going out of control and much longer than the other one too it seemed like maybe because it's a, a third night here that he thought he had to raise the bar for himself and i mean he certainly did his job there but boy it felt like he put everything out there on this can kind of hear him start to ramp it up and I mean the mic solo is absolutely a clinic on guitar playing again it feels like it has acts to it it's just epic but as Mike is going on you can hear Matt start to throw in some little things like he's getting ready he's gonna ramp it up you can tell that it's coming and last week it was really snare heavy and it was kind of snare and cymbal and tom this one he's all over the kit he's spending time on each little section and doing like rhythmic stuff that you don't hear him do all the time i agree this is a uh, over seven and a half minutes of even flow it's again another just show-stopping version here the cameron thing again the whole band leaves the stage give him the whole thing to himself spotlight all the whole nine yards but yeah this one i think blows last week out of the water and that is a good thing because that means that cameron is just continuing to push himself every single night so in between here ed gives a nod to mike and matt and then says we're going to take a request from about row seven or ten and that is going to get you to another song that we covered last week i think in a very similar spot sad and sad will lead you in the present tense which will lead you in to save you a really really nice section where we'll hear from javier not once but twice yeah sad i think Last week's version was unique for what the song is because it was revved up a little bit more like most of those performances were, but this is very much back to basics with this song, and at the end of the day, I think that's what you're familiar with, I think that's what kind of catches you, and that's kind of what you want, but again, Mike usage of that octave pedal, it reigns supreme. I love that sound. 
and other songs where he implements it like ghost is a song that'll come up where he implements it it's just so unique and it just doesn't feel like he's actually playing what he's playing it feels like he's playing some kind of moog or something like that that sound emanates from it's very very cool yeah this is a good version of sad the other thing too is ed being really emotive like before that embrace line he's kind of hugging himself and he's being really like a lot of gestures and like really getting into it mike too just jumping around the stage and being really expressive it was a good version you could tell they were into it. i mean anytime we've seen them when they get to like deviate from the set list you get these little moments where kind of keeps things fresh and give them a little jolt of energy and i think you saw that here and speaking of hand emotions i think that is perfect segue to get into present tense because something that i didn't even notice when watching the video for the first time but this was reported from the two feet thick review of this that he uses his hand and kind of creates a tree out Mm -hmm. of his fingers and then bends it when he does the do you see the way that tree bends and starts doing that and kind of creates the scene then puts his fingers out to do like the sun ray and stuff like that maybe it was just in a mood to just emote with his hands yeah. I, I mean suppose. you can barely see it in the video it's one of those things that's on the screen they show it, but you can see a little bit of it but you don't get the full experience of it yeah i think present tense was a phenomenal highlight from this obviously the crowd is going to get in on the first chorus and there's a point where ed maybe is thinking that this crowd doesn't want to sing it or whatever and he starts to go back into it and the crowd's like no 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 no! this is ours this is ours and they start to gradually get louder as that goes and that was kind of a cool moment of him recognizing that okay nope you're right you guys got this yeah you didn't get a big crowd moment in even flow really because that was kind of the matt and mike show but yeah it was great to hear the crowd take it here but yeah this again is jeff amen for me and at the end just spectacular yeah jeff is great but also the tribal rhythm over the second verse is perfect for Matt. And what you found out, another thing from Two Feet Thick is that he's playing these uh, Tiffany mallets. And that sounds really different. I, I don't know how often he's done that on either present tense or just in general that he uses those, but it's definitely a more unique sound.
we're going to get Javier in on this because I made a passing comment to him. I don't seem to remember, and maybe it's just because I can't remember everything, but I don't seem to remember Mike busting out the flying V on present tense before. You had said that you remember him doing it a couple times, but it just never connected to me that this is a flying V song. So when I told him that, he was like, oh yeah, it's got like a creamy sound to it. So I'm going to let Javier talk about some creamy sounds and hopefully he's, you know, clean for podcast kind of creamy sounds. So here it is. Is it a flying V? Yes. Is it a Gibson flying V? No. So we're going to debunk that theory right away. For present tense, it is an Ibanez rocket roll flying V with glow stickers. I don't know how many glow stickers he has, but there's a lot of them. But let's debunk that right away because that's something that I always read here and there. And I'm like, no, guys, it's not a Gibson. It is an Ibanez rocket roll flying V. Super high gain guitar. The pickups that that thing has is going to take the amp to a different level. That's why this version sounds so heavy. Also, right hand of the player, absolutely. But that's the reason why specifically this version sounds so, so heavy. It's the guitar, it's the pickups, they're really, really pushing the amp, they're really, really, really hot. And it's gonna make that tone to be very, very creamy and very present on the mix. All right, that was clean, I think, or maybe it was distorted, I don't know, but once again, Javier does his thing so well. And honestly, we can say a word or two on Save You and just throw it right back to him. Because this is a good version of Save You. It's injecting the fast-paced energy back into the set that you got a little bit in the beginning. You know, present tense will kind of end that way where you have to build off of that momentum and Save You is an excellent one to have and follow up on because it's a straight up rocker that's going to take you away and little things here too stone's little interstitial solo sounds awesome ed's going scorched earth on the ending and talking about his voice not being in the greatest shape of this show but he's doing some damage to it tossing to javier because javier wants to talk about he said this version was fire and a little bit about the telecaster we've heard about the telecaster this show before so let's talk a little more about it save you we're going to continue with the theme of guitars right if you ask me my desert island guitar is a fender telecaster hands down this guitar does it all this guitar in save you has become a prevalent element for these guys over the years since the song was premiere in riot act right so the majority of the times they both use telecasters Later on, it would kind of like mutate it to one Telecaster in a stone using something else. The Telecaster guitar, guys, is the go-to guitar. It was made in the 50s. It's the most basic version of an element that you can have in an electrical guitar because it's basically two pieces of wood and that's it. There's nothing else. There's only one volume and one tone. 
Fun fact for everyone, Stone and Mike, they both have the same guitar. They both have 1952 reissues. They're not 1952 originals, and they do take them on tour. And actually, this is a guitar that is not very well mentioned by fans, but this yellow Telecaster, the Butterscotch Telecaster, especially on Mike's side, has been an element that has been very, very, very prevalent over his career. Like, this is a guitar that you can see on Save You. This is a guitar that you can see on Breath. This is the main guitar that he uses for Better Man, for example. But for some reason, the fans, they don't talk too much about this specific guitar. I don't know why. The Stratocaster is like kind of like everybody recognizes that one or the Les Paul. That's another one. But anyways, this version is fire. That Telecaster tone that it drives his basements is absolutely insane. Super nice overdrive. But again, it's all coming from that guitar. I'm pretty sure that that tone knob is rolled down a little bit just to give it a little bit more muddiness, especially of the kind of sound that they were trying to aim for that era. That's Savior for this week. A little extra on Riot Act. Thank you so much, Javier. We Very will cool. see you next week for Columbus 2010. Can't wait to see what you got. Maybe, maybe we'll get a little comment about Mike in the pre-show on that. Well, well I did just have one word on Save You, and that word was Jeff. So I think people can get the tone of where I'm going with this show. Well, smelling what you're stepping in. Well, I seem to really like the energy of the end of the set here. And I think all that kind of develops out of Jeremy. The way that Jeremy comes around in this, they're playing it pretty straight up at first, but then during the try to forget this, try to erase this from the blackboard, that whole thing, you hear Matt just start to go, and he's starting to just pick up the pace a little bit more, and I think it's, it's a little bit gradual, but after a second or two, you realize... Yeah, okay, this is driving now, and this is starting to get a little wild here, and the band is picking up on this, and the timing is getting quick, and I think that had kind of a red-hot ending to it, and it was able to, again, you're as good as your next song, but the next couple, Why Go and Comatose, and then obviously a big show stopping Rear Mirror at the end, I think that that set the tone for what the end of the set was going to be really, really well. heavy show really like you had only gotten even flow up to that point you know it is night three they've gotten a chance to run through a lot of the catalog of what they were doing but 
still we've seen them do this where you have kind of your light on 10 until the end of the main set and then you're gonna get the crowd going with a couple quick ones here and they can really go to anything basically anything except oceans would probably work in the you know they're gonna save alive for the end but yeah jeremy and why go seem to be the go-to ones to get the crowd going here yeah, Wygo is a very shreddy McCready on this, and I think that's kind of the identity of what you'll get from the rest of the set from Mike is that he's just finding moments where he can fill and, and yeah. shred and go off. And and don't yeah. forget, Wygo in 2006 had just come back to the original way yeah. it was. Like They were fresh. They, they had fucked with it in 2003. It didn't really work. So 2006 was kind of like a rebirth for that song, so they were really feeling it. You know, momentum-wise... Why Go translates really well into Comatose, and I think we talked about an encore spot for Comatose. Maybe it was Encore 2 last week, mm. but this Comatose being like the primer for Rearview Mirror, I thought was really good. You're just kind of feeding off of everything momentum-wise, and you're on the money with it. Mike, once again, that's a shredding McCready version right there, and the question with a comatose is always, is this going to get off the rails a little bit? It felt like that last week probably did, but no, it was kind of in a perfect spot that you like this song to be. It's not getting overly, overly crazy and nobody's missing lyrics. No bridges are missed or anything like that. I thought these three together, Jeremy, why go were excellent, which is an excellent part of the set. Yeah. It's just, Nothing really jumped out about it to me when I was listening to it. Comatose is like the mind your manners of this era, right? It's just the super fast one that goes by and you seems like you get it every single time. And there's not really a big moment in it for people to latch onto. But again, you need something to get from why go to rearview mirror. You need that quick jolt we've talked about. You know, they'll do that with go or spin the black circle. It's serving that purpose here, which is fine. Yeah, I think the big moment definitely is, and and why I like these three so much together, is that you are just setting up for this version of Rearview Mirror. And to get into it, they do that plucky tease. We've talked about the plucky tease before, and that's kind of fun. That dun 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 dun. Different. This is, this is a different plucky tease, kind of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like Ed's kind of panting like a dog, and the crowd's getting into it and clapping. This went on for about beeps. 30 seconds. There's like, there's like little beeps in there. Yep, Matt starts playing along with it, and usually it's just kind of Ed just doing a little bit of that and then finding a moment where he can actually get into the riff and start it. But no, they kept this going. They, they played it up really well. I, I like this. This was something a little bit different. It gives that intro a completely different feel. It's a little more stop-start. It actually reminded me of Devo, something that they would go back to in later years more. But yeah, a little bit of that Devo-ish kind of robotic a little bit feel to it. Like I mentioned, the beeping guitar sound that they throw into that. But yeah, I mean, if you're in this crowd, you're almost like, wait, what is this? Is this like an improv or a new song? But then, of course, they kick into the familiar riff and you're off and running. I did not have on my bingo card for 2024 that we would be comparing Devo and Rearview Mirror. But I guess I'm pleasantly surprised with how that all turned out so very cool i got to hear something i don't know if you noticed this too but during the i'm not about to give thanks or apologize you hear he doesn't do it ed doesn't do it himself but you hear the crowd all scream fuckers during this and i thought that that was very cool nice nice no, yeah. i didn't catch that just a little in the background right 
Yeah. But the jam, I think, reminded me a lot of the intro, too. I think they were using a lot of the same type of thing. A little bit of that, like, robotic electronic feel to it. A little bit of the stop-start stuff going on. It was, it was cool. Yeah, I heard some of the beeps in that, for sure. Yeah. And it did feel like Ed was kind of in the lead on this bridge, which usually it can range from either to Stone to Matt to Mike. Mostly, it's going to be Stone, I think, that really drives this. But Ed was kind of leading the way and kind of setting it up that way. And it wasn't a long bridge at all. It lasted for about a minute or so. And then they get into an ending here that is pretty much a clinic. Usually, Ed is on the Ebo, and that's what he's doing in this. But it feels like he took a little bit of a different role to be more prominent, which Ed's not really a solo guy when it comes to guitar. So it is cool to hear him take that role but boy this ending i was blown away by this yeah yeah you mentioned the length of it this is kind of the era for your seven eight nine minute rearview mirrors they were starting to stretch it out but this one's i think yeah like five and a half i don't think it even gets to six but another thing this is one that we don't have video of but evidently ed did 11 windmills at the end to bring the main set to a close definitely sounded like it deserved that so yeah, from present tense on to River Mirror, this was an excellent portion of the set. Very, very good. And again, Matt's a damn clinic in this. And Stone shortening up his riffs to put some texture into that was awesome. So let's pause for station identification for a second or two. This coming week, as mentioned before, we will have the Horizon profile out for William's fandom. We do for everybody that has joined our Horizon leg tier, which we can get to in a minute or two. And also, I think we should be having our next late night series episode out on the late show with Jimmy Fallon. Not the Tonight Show, but this is when he was in between, didn't fully take over. Jay Leno's spot because I think when Conan got bumped up, this was the promotion that Jimmy got. So it's a cool three songs to get to talk about. So that'll be out later this week at some point. And of course, when you're talking about that whole session, you're going to talk about balls in your mouth too. So we'll have a little conversation on that as well. But as far as Patreon goes, we're going to finish those from the late night series up very soon if we can get them done by february we'll be happy and it's all going to culminate in 
the last episode being the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance. So that'll kind of be a nice little wrap. Unless they decide to break out an SNL on us in a couple of weeks. Well, if it's in a couple of weeks, we'll be on top of it. Or whenever it does come, if it does, we'll be on top of it. And maybe it's a never ending thing. But yeah, we'll be talking about more Evolution episodes coming up soon. Again, 2024 is going to be another big year for us. If there's tours, which there will be tours, we will be out there. And this is where we can use your help the most. If you are interested, the Horizon Leg Tier, which is what William is a part of, you can donate to help our website functions. That is very expensive to keep a website together. And we can use all the help as humanly possible. Obviously, liveonfourlegs.com is the hub for all of the live show stuff. If you want reviews the next morning, if you want all the details in there, you're going to want to read these things. John does a really good job of them. I do my best whenever I get a chance to write them up. And it's one of the cool things that we do kind of in the way, again, of following in the Five Horizons and the Two Feet Thick footsteps right there but we're just doing our own thing with that and trying to play up and be in the moment as possible with these shows because nobody is covering specifically Pearl Jam like you would a baseball team or a football team or something like that so to be kind of I guess the Pearl Jam beat writers or beat reporters or whatever like that's something that we uh, take some pride in so if you want to contribute to that Horizon leg tier for $10 a month and giga leg tier for $5 a month. You will get to request an episode. And for that, we will talk about your episode. We'll talk about your story on air. A lot of people have gotten it. A lot of people have gotten great responses from their stories and from the shows. We always love doing these shows because again, kind of like last week with Prague, we wouldn't have picked that out of a lineup and you know, Melbourne. We always kind of look at Melbourne for one of those places down in Australia, but for William to point this one out to us and say, this is the one, obviously we're going to get it from the horse's mouth and we're going to do this one. So yeah, this is great. And if you want to help us out, be a part of our cause, then just head on over to Patreon. Even if it is a dollar a month, it will get you all of the exclusive material, which is lots. As I mentioned, just to say a few Evolution episodes, the late night series, which we're coming up to a close on. And also coming up pretty soon, we're hoping to get another Javier Gear Garage. And that should be really exciting. The ones that he did last year were very, very good. Some of the most fun I've ever had working on some of the episodes for this podcast. So stay tuned for that. We do have a hallucinogenic recipe that's kind of been sitting in the can that I'm sitting on i don't know why i'm sitting on it but i will find time to put that out and that's another thing add on for the content so if you're interested in the content if you like all the content that you're getting weekly then this stuff is there for you how do you sign up how do you subscribe well there are three ways you can go to patreon.com slash live on full legs it'll give you all the details here's all the tiers you join up to one of those and then everything is open for you. All of the content, you go right inside and you see all of the bonus episodes. That is available for everyone. If you want to go there, if you want to go to the app, download the Patreon app and search for Live on Four Legs or go to the aforementioned liveonfourlegs.com and there is a Become a Patron button on every page. Just press it and you are there. 
follow the details and enjoy all the content we have in store. There you have that. Let's get back into the rock here. It's sit down time here and it looks as though, and it won't be a one done situation. You're going to get a sit down for the next three here, which is kind of going back. Hey, flash forward to 2013, where this is an every night occasion. This is starting to get a little bit more of that in 2006. So that's a very cool touch. But it says, we reckon we ain't going to be here again for yonks. And asked, are you booing because we're not going to be here till yonks? Or are you booing because of the way I said yonks? And then comes this. Yonks sound like something that you smoke out of to me. That was a killer yonk load. This one we've done since the last time we've saw you that we've done for a movie called Big Fish and Be Man of the Hour. But yonk, yeah, that's a word you don't hear around these parts unless it has an urs at the end of it. You're going to kick this off. It's going to be Man of the Hour. It's going to be Off He Goes, and then it's going to be Small Town here. And Man of the Hour is kind of theatrical in a way. Last week, we saw more of a campfire version kind of sitting down, and it was a little bit more like upbeat. But this felt like this had some emotion, and it had some weight to it. This was cool, and one that when you get kind of entranced into whenever... You kind of hear the music die down and Ed just sing over that. Like it builds to that big moment. And you love when the music comes back in, when the crowd just erupts. Like it's one of the coolest things that happens in a Pearl Jam song. And I think that this version definitely has all of the elements that makes Man of the Hour really, really good. Yeah, it starts out at solo and then it is kind of like a very theatrical, like a theater where you pull back the curtain and all of a sudden the band is there and they're playing and like it's the big reveal, right? The lights come on, you see everyone, it's, oh, that was super cool. And then I like how they bring it back down at the end and by the end it's just at solo again. So it kind of has this like ebb and flow and like starts off one way and then you bring in the band and it has this like closure to it. It comes full circle at the end, which is very nice. I got a little on off he goes here that I want to bring up. So... It's a dedication to Damien and the audience. This is a version, and we've talked about the differences between types of versions of the song. And when you go back to like 1996, it has all the elements of what the song was on the recording. It's a little more downtrodden. It doesn't have like a progressive rhythm. It's just sort of Ed in his character that he portrays in the song, which is kind of, as he would call the song, the character is a shitty friend. And then he would point to himself in those moments, but there's a huge difference. It's 10 years since the song had come out. The huge difference between here and there is that you could feel a certain way at a certain time about a certain song in 1996. Again, he can still be feeling those thoughts and want to display them in the manner that he wrote the song. But when you get to later versions of this, it turns into something different. And overall, I'm going to use this word again, it felt like a pretty triumphant version of Off He Goes. It felt like the way that Mike was going through things, it felt like it was very poppy. It felt like the song just had a little bit more of a progressive rhythm, as I said. And you kind of see the difference that this is performed from a perspective of somebody that is move forward with the issues that the past performer had been dealing with at that time and can look back on that now and tell the story of the person they used to be. You can see within the song and the little changes that are made with the emotion to it that 
you can see that it's become something that Ed has moved past. And that being a good thing and not a bad thing. Obviously, it still means something because it's part of his history, but going back to a version that is like totally down and downtrodden just isn't the way that they did things in that point forward. If they were going to play things, and this kind of can go back to the whole Alive treatment from 2006 and how that became the super anthem again, everything was seen from a more positive perspective in a different light. And I think that that really shows here in this version of Off He Goes. There are certain points in Pearl Jam history where everything changes. And 2000 had one of those. 2006 had a couple of those. People know what those are. But it's part of the evolution, right? And Off He Goes might not have like as defined of an evolution as some other songs. It might never have had its huge moment like some other ones have. But it's definitely matured. I think as he's gotten older, songs like this become a little more, not more autobiographical, but you get a little bit more perspective on them and you can see more of the journey and what's ahead and what's behind and have a little more appreciation for it. Yeah, I, I love this song, so it's always been one of my favorite songs off of No Code, which is my favorite record. So if they can do it the old way, they can do it the new way, it's fine with me. We're finishing it off this little section with Small Town. And, you know, we've heard this from crowds on Small Town in the past. I think it's kind of like a European thing where we get that little two-clap clapping pattern. This, this crowd this. is very into clapping. We haven't mentioned that yet, but they yeah. they love clapping. Give me a good clapping crowd. That means they're invested. I'm into it. They're on the 2-3. Two, 2-3. Three. Two, three. Right. 2-3. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, we, we've heard that. I can't pinpoint what episode that we did where that had that, but... I will say that it's not an American crowd. That's for sure. But this is interesting because you can't really call this like an anthemic version. You can't really call it like a campfire version, but it felt focused and it felt like it had a little purpose to it, even if maybe this was more of a mellow thing. And there's a point where he actually begins the song by saying the second verse lyric, which has happened from time to time. And then he'll follow that up by kind of acknowledging that by saying lifetime is catched up with all of us and kind of, you know, making a little bit of a, a light situation to his one little guffaw there. I thought it was pretty cool. So, yeah, not much else. You know, we were still kind of in the seated section. So given again, you're giving the crowd another chance to get on it here. So it serves the purpose there. We got three more songs to end on core one. It's going to be black going to be State of Love and Trust, and then ooh, we're going to get to a good one after State of Love and Trust, so hold on to that thought. Good crowd once again on Black, and I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Again, we did one a couple weeks ago where I loved the tone. It just had a warmth to it. Right here, same thing. But it kind of goes from like warmth to having a drive, and Cameron really picks it up during the solo, and Mike feels like he's getting into one of the more talented versions of this and he'll go into like whale sounds and whaling sounds but like he's really putting a lot of as i mentioned before this is more of a shreddy version of black to me i think that might be just leading way into the thing that you want to talk about because it feels like this has been a recurrent trend on black yeah. huh yeah absolutely but before we get to that, you mentioned the timpani mallets on present tense. I wouldn't be surprised if he's using them here on black as well, because 
you mentioned what Matt is doing during the solo just sounds like thunderous. I mean, it reminded me a lot of what we've seen with Retrograde the last couple of years when that outro hits on Retrograde, where just like, oh my God, like this could bring down a mountain right now. But yeah, I mean, anytime there's an improv on Black, I'm all in. That's one of my favorite things that they do, hands down, period. I love when he switches that up to we didn't belong together because again, in the way that we just mentioned with off he goes, he was feeling a certain thing in 1992 with black where he's still feeling that emotion that it's still thinking about that moment. He's never talked about that in full. We don't have the details on that. So it's kind of up to your discretion to react to it in a certain way. But him saying that we didn't belong together again is a sign of maturity and saying all the things that have happened up until that point, it's him just sort of coming to terms with it. There's also like a real kind of sadness to it. It's this resignation of you've gotten older and you realize that the thing you are pining for maybe wasn't the thing that you wanted. And like, that's a whole sadness in itself. I mean, there's 25 different emotions going on in the song at any time, and that's why it's so great. But yeah, so many layers to this when he switches it up like that. I love it. It is certainly a song that can drag you in all different directions, and usually whatever direction you end up in is the right direction. So yeah. State of Love and Trust, pretty straightforward rock and roll song. You needed something fun after Black, I think, to bring back that energy. You got four right there, and Black not being a sit-down song, but kind of had the more slower progression kind of songs. And State of Love and Trust, while pretty fun and straightforward, Ed kind of teased this lyric here of when he's doing the, I'll do this one myself, he says, I don't trust myself. And then that's the moment where he looks over to Mike and goes, Mike, yeah. And Mike starts soloing after that. So cool little throw into that. Then something cool gets to happen. This is something that you don't see very often, but night three of a good little stretch, you want to give the crowd a little extra love. And Ed decides, hey, who wants the microphone? Tosses it into the crowd and a lucky crowd member gets to sing. does a pretty good job too like he holds his own yeah it didn't sound like there was like, a like there was a struggle like we weren't sure who was going to get the mic but someone eventually takes charge and and gets this thing and he does all right 
that's some composure right there. You really don't know when a mic is going to come flying at you. And it's like, I have this thing. I know what to do with it, but I got to do right with it. So yeah, whoever caught that did a nice little job. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to kick out the jam, motherfucker! Yeah, Ed starts just swinging the mic like a maniac at the start of this come to think like i love when they do this because it does feel so different of a cover in comparison to when they're doing rocking or a baba or something like that it does feel like you get something a little bit more special and again that party atmosphere that party time song just fits in really really well with that and it got me to thinking because usually this is a song where they're going to invite guests up on stage and help sing along with and I went through and I kind of saw who those guests were in the past. Obviously, Mark Arm is the most popular one and Steve Turner will come out as well. But other guests have been Jerry Cantrell, Peter Buck, Kim Tail, Dave Grohl even. And of course, Wayne Kramer. That's probably the most special one that they can get from that song. And it got me to thinking here because out of the 28 plays this is one that doesn't have a guest at all it's one of the very few versions 11 out of 28 versions of kick out the jams motherfucker are just pearl jam without a guest that many i I know i would have thought it was only been two or three if that yeah this sounds weird because i was really expecting mark arm to show up and sing at any moment well yeah that's the history of it but it's fine just pearl jam as itself like ed brings the heat and he brings the attitude towards it and It's just the band having a ton of energy, a ton of fun, and again, going off with the underused cover, and this is only the 10th time that they had played it to that date, but I think they wanted to show this crowd something special, and I think that they got something that was kind of off their repertoire, and just very cool. On the night three, you want to bring out something special for the people that have stuck with you for three nights. It's not something they do all the time, but I like the song, and I, I like the cover of it, but... I don't think this is in Ed's wheelhouse. I think he struggles a little bit vocally with this sometimes. I don't think he was fully on this one, it sounded like to me. But again, you get the crowd to help. It's a fun song. It's not a song that needs to be note perfect to be awesome. So, yeah, I don't uh, care about that. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we know that he's going through a vocal struggle in this. So, if Kick Out the Jams is a vocal struggle, whatever. It's a song you should just be screaming anyway. It doesn't matter. All right, this is now Encore 2. Under the Wasted Reprise, we get Ed talking a little bit, and he says, we've been coming here for 12 years, and 12 years, and it still hasn't been lost on us how gratified we are to see this many people show up for three nights, and we appreciate it deeply. It's incredible in 12 years. Incredible things have happened. Up here, things we never think we'd have to go through down here, but life just keeps going. Here we all are today in one moment today, and we made it. For all the differences and changes, I imagine we're better, but now we have a job to make the world a better place, and we'll keep doing that. And that's interesting because the next night, they would be on hand to join Bono and The Edge for the Make Poverty History show where they did Rock into the Free World. And I think a lot of that could be on their mind at this point. Yeah, I definitely agree. 
it seems like, oh, he's saying thanks, like this is just going to be a normal thing. And then he kind of goes off and takes it off into this whole other level, like, oh, it's just life and life keeps going and we made it and gets into this whole thing. Like, all right, he's feeling something tonight. All right. Reprise wasted. Whipping are going to be here. And again, this is party section. This is all really good momentum, really good energy from here on out. And, you know, Mike is a standout on life wasted at the end, just gradually piercing over the last chorus and digging down deep to create that sound thought was very good. Whipping has a ton more energy too. just kind of leaving it all out there on the third night. Not much more than that. Just Jeff, 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 songs. Jeff, that's how it's going down. And really, I might be trying to push to get to butt cheeks, but that's between you and me. Alive, rocking in the free world to follow after that. Very similar vibe to last week's version of Alive, where you get that. You get the hey chance, and you get everybody all feeling like they're there for one common goal. That type of bonding moment for Alive, for sure. And then rocking in the free world. Again, feels like another one of those moments. And you kind of mentioned during our conversation with William that Ed gets around boom and he falls. And yeah, yeah he's all over the place in this. He's up on a speaker and then he goes down to the floor for a second. He can't stop on this. And I don't know, like it's all over the place. Yeah, evidently he went over to Boom and like had his arms around Boom from the back and then tried to jump off the keyboard riser and like fell and was like down for a minute or something. Yeah, just another one, but another one that we don't have the video of. So we have to go off of the 2v thick review, but that's really interesting. Gives a little more context to what's happening here at the end. There's also a moment that you can kind of connect to make poverty history that Ed chants right before the thousand points of light. He chants, it's a free world. It's a free world. So again, that's kind of connecting, I think. All right. Now we can get into butt cheeks. Ed gives this crowd a hearty thank you and says he's going to do something that has never been done on any stage they've played on but maybe never done on a stage that anyone has ever played on. It's a little game. You might know it because I learned it here in Melbourne. And the crowd is chanting for Skull. And Skull is basically chug, chug, chug. It's their version of that. Ned's got a wine bottle in hand. And he's like, it's a fine bottle of wine. I got something much better, though. And it's a game that can only be played with a 50-cent piece. And unfortunately, while we had video for Rockin' in the Free World and Ledbetter, some reason somebody decided to turn the camera off for this, idiots. And we don't get to see it until the very, very end where we don't really get to see much anyway. So the whole idea is to put this 50-cent coin up between your butt cheeks and then to squat walk with it and try to get it into a cup. And that's the game. Why anybody would want to play a game like this. Well, you know what? There probably would have been a time where I wanted to play a game like this. And and granted, pants are on. So it's tasteful. He had no shot. You got to do this pantsless to to really have a shot. See, I don't know if I'd do it pantsless. Would you? A couple of of fosters in you and you you never know. Well, I mean, I'm sort of a lightweight compared to the Australian crew. So I think mm-hmm. maybe half a can of that might've taken me sure. down and had me doing it. But 
he does the thing. He puts the cup in the middle of the stage, kind of waddles over, and he's going really carefully. And we get this part. This is like where it cuts in. It gets really carefully, and he kind of just lets it go, and it just misses. It hit crowd the rim is gently and like bounced out. Yeah, yeah. The crowd is upset, but it's a valiant effort. And instead, he decides, "All right, well." Chant your skull thing, and I'm going to grab the wine bottle, which TFT says is just water, and he gets it from Jeff, and he just chugs the bottle right there in that sitting and says, I'll try it again next time. So that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope it was all worth it. That was the butt cheek story. Was it worth it? We'll see what Stone has to say about it in a minute. Yes, the party's not over. Stone is definitely the one I wish we had more video of because of... Or audio, like the bootleg cuts anything. off too. Like there's no reaction, anything to it. Right. So Ledbetter's here. It's, again, night three. You're ending with Ledbetter, no matter what. And Mike has this moment at the end and the crowd claps along, but it's not the final thing this crowd is going to see. So Stone, before going off stage, kind of takes the cup from the soundboard and he's like, all right, I'll, I'm going to try this too. And it seems like Stone is about to have better luck than Ed. And he takes it, puts it between, drops it right into the center of the cup, but it bounced right out. And apparently this had the band hysterically laughing. And it being Stone, I'm sure he just kind of waddled and laughed it off anyway. So, yeah. He's, get that he's known for that, for that duck walk, so he's he's he's, he's got it down. Yeah, and yeah. it was just a bad night. It was I a bad night. Start, for I think we can start a new TikTok trend on this. We got to get people doing this. Send it to us. Actually, I think that is not a bad idea. Do the you know the Eddie Stone the challenge? Challenge. Yeah, right. Go, shorty. It's your birthday. Mm. All right, let's take a moment to talk about our top three moments from this show. My number three moment from this show, again, this is a Jeff show, so you got to give credit where credit is due, and I'm going to go with Hell Hell. I love the bass runs in Hell Hell, just really top-notch stuff. Number two, I'm going to say, is Rearview Mirror from this, because why the hell not? You get a great version of Rearview Mirror. got to give it its credit. And then present tense is going to be number one for me because I love the mallets and the way that it builds and the crowd. Like it was just a really, really good version. It just hit me in the right moment. My number three is also Hail Hail, but my number two is going to be Even Flow, and my number one is Black. Oh my goodness! Are we going to have to like this now? It seems like every episode that there has been a Black, you've put Black at um, least in the three. I, I I call it as I see it, man. I mean, it feels like by default, like black is just going to be great every time. And you're just like, yep, I'm in. We'll see. That's as much as you get from John, guys. We'll see. All right. Rating time. Uh, I like this show. I think that it has its great moments. It's hard for me to compare to everything else that's happened down in Australia. It's not anywhere near the shows that you guys remember and that have been kind of held to a very, very high standard, but for being a night three and being in this era, it's a very good era. 
I'm in like an eight and a half realm for this. I think I got eight and a half. I, I'm not going to go lower than that. So that's where I am. Yeah. Let's talk about me. Night three. We do these shows where like they're in town for one show and you're getting this complete picture. Like you're getting the one show and that's it. But night threes are weird because you've already had night two, which is usually the one. And you're going off and doing things that they don't normally do. But the avocado songs, like I said, weird choices here. Some good crowd moments, obviously, some fun intangible things that make it unique. I'm right at an eight on this one. That's fair enough. Last week it was flip flopped. You were at eight and a half. I was at eight. Yep. So it's been a very eight year so far. It has. This has been a B podcast, I suppose. <laughs> but we'll see where the rest of the year leads us. And obviously, can't go a year without having hall of fame episodes so at some point it's going to come but there ain't nothing wrong with giving shows eights that means go listen to it enjoy it you'll like it for entertainment purposes only people that's right yeah it's been a while since anybody's complained about the ratings, so that makes me happy next week we're going back to the states and we are going to cover one from 2010 it's going to be the columbus show so that is a request from travis howell Hopefully we get to have him on the show like we did with William today. And he gets to tell his stories and everything like that, which I had read a little bit about. And if we don't get him, I'll read his story that he sent for me, but hopefully we get to hear from him. So that is what we have set for next week. The poster with the big dinosaur on it. Well, if you're listening to this right now, then thanks for listening. Great job. You did it. And you're still here. I don't know what we did, but you're still here. And if you are interested in listening next week to next week's episode or listening to last week's episode or whatever episodes out there that we have done, I think this is episode number 268. So there are a couple, maybe one that you've been to then please hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform that you're listening to us on. Doesn't matter which. But specifically, Spotify and Apple, obviously, those are the big corporations, the big ones that get the attention. Most of you are listening on those. So if you are on those, please take a second, subscribe, and give us a nice little rating. Hopefully, we have deserved the five stars, and we have treated these shows with the kindness and respect and told the stories in the right manner that you guys are impressed with. And if we have done that, hopefully, we have earned your stars. And for Apple people, please, if you have time, feel free, leave a comment with your five-star rating and just let people know, hey, this podcast does this. They talk about shows. Maybe talk about one of the shows that we covered that you went to and like how it brought you back to the moment. We hear that stuff all the time and it's great. You never get tired of it. So it's all about the next person that's waiting to listen to a Pearl Jam podcast seeing that, hey, a couple good comments over here, maybe I should check this out, then who knows? Maybe they're on a future podcast episode of Live on Four Legs. That would be great. We would welcome that for sure. All right, let's close this one on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer, and although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. Well, we got through our butt cheek episode without any issue and i've seen things on the internet that have happened with cups and i'm just glad that it wasn't that 
I'll explain to you when you're older. Until then, see you next time. Make sure you use the official Australian 50 cent piece. And you know we don't give a fuck, it's not your birthday You'll find me in the club, bottle full of bub Look, mommy, I got the head sitting in the taking drugs I'm in the having sex, I ain't in the making love So come give me a hug, if you're in the getting rough You can find me in the club, bottle full of bub Look, mommy, I got the head sitting in the taking drugs I'm in the having sex, I ain't in the making love So come give me a hug, if you're in the getting rough When I pull up out front, you see the Benz on dub uh-huh. When I roll 20 TV's